0: You're listening to Surrounded by History, a podcast of the Blue Earth County Historical Society. Produced by Radio Mankato with your host, Historical Society Executive Director, Jessica Potter. And now, Surrounded by History.
1: Hello and welcome to Surrounded by History. I'm your host, Jessica Potter with the Blue Earth County Historical Society. Joining me today is Jeff Lang with Radio Mankato. Every week, this program explores the history all around us, the history in plain sight. For the next few segments of Surrounded by History, we will dig into the history, the stories, behind some of our prominent females in Blue Earth County's past. We're doing this in honor of the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment to the United States Constitution, which allowed women the right to vote. We are taking a moment to reflect on the women that made local history. Today, we hope you will enjoy being surrounded by the history of the women's suffrage movement in Blue Earth County. So let's start out today with a recap of the 19th Amendment. I won't do a pop quiz or anything <laughs> like that. Um, but the 19th Amendment to the United States Constitution um, what prohibits state and federal governments from denying the right to vote to citizens of the United States on the basis of sex. And basically, what that means is before this... The Constitution actually said that men had the right to vote and did not acknowledge women. Um, and so, therefore, they were being denied the right to vote. So, initially, this, um, this amendment, this change to the Constitution, was introduced to Congress in 1878 um, several attempts to pass the Women's Suffrage Amendment failed until it was finally passed by the House of Representatives, the U.S. House of Representatives, on May 21, 1919, followed quickly by the Senate on June fourth, 1919. And then, because it's a U.S. Constitution amendment to the Constitution, it has to go out to the states to be ratified. So it was submitted to the states to ratify, uh, Minnesota voted yes to ratify the Constitution on September 8, 1919. And on August 18, 1920, almost a year later, Tennessee became the last of the necessary 36 states to secure ratification. It was a three quarters support in favor of, of ratifying the Constitution. So the 19th Amendment was officially adopted on August 26, 1920.
0: That's incredible that's over 40 years from when it was first introduced to actually being put in the law.
1: I know. Can you, I, I can't even. I can't
0: wrap my head around that at all.
1: I can't think of anything comparable today, you know, that there's something that we're fighting for to get put into, to, to get changed in the way that our country operates. There's nothing that's been in exists that's been in operation that long that we've been wanting to have this major change. So yeah, I mean it, it's it's pretty incredible to think about and, and incredible to think that it took a whole year for the to get the three quarters vote right right um, to be able to ratify. So I have a fun little few little fun tidbits. Um, the first state to ratify the amendment was Wisconsin. I had no idea of all of the states in the the United States that Wisconsin would be the first one. Um, And the last one, get this, was Mississippi in 1984. What? Okay, so basically what Mississippi thought was, oh, well, it's already been adopted, so we don't, as a state, have to take action. Okay. So it just sat on the books forever. So it wasn't until 1984 that they actually changed their state constitution to match the federal. Because basically, in most things, the federal law over supersedes any state right. laws so they just kind of went by oh well it's the unite it's a federal law now so it doesn't matter but it was it mattered to the people that were living in mississippi right. no we'll get it off your state books and say it
0: being allowed to vote during that time so yes. then okay yes
1: yeah they were because the federal law was already in place gotcha so it was more of a technicality um but mississippi held out until 1984 wow. to remove it off of their state uh, laws um so the, in 1920, um, there was a U.S. presidential election. And so this is really interesting when you think about it. This is the first election after World War I. Um, It's the first presidential election after the ratification of the 19th Amendment. Um, And it's the first election after that major um, influenza pandemic that we talked about, the Spanish flu, that we talked about in a previous um, podcast. So think about all of these things that are happening in 1920. um, And this is the first election that women have the right to vote in. So the candidates at the time were Republican Senator Warren G. Harding of Ohio and Democrat Governor James Cox of Ohio, which I thought was also quite interesting. Yeah, that, it is. that those were the two candidates. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as we know in record in our history books, uh, Warren G. Harding and won the election um, and became the, the next president. But this election, with it being the first one that women had the right to vote in in all 48 states, because now it was a federal law, Mm -hmm. the total popular vote almost doubled um, from 1916 election to the 1920 election. So it went from 18.5 million to 26. million people who voted in a presidential election.
0: That is awesome, though, that that (laughs) many people show up to the polls. Uh, Yeah. Do that many show up now?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's the question. Um, So the other number... Another little tidbit is that I'm um, taking it back to the state of Minnesota, um, the first woman or women to be elected to the Minnesota House of Representatives was in 1922 and four women were elected. So this is the first time. So not only couldn't women vote um, in state, federal, or even local elections, but they couldn't obviously serve in these elections either. And so this is the first time um, for Minnesota that they have elected women to the Minnesota House of Representatives. That was 19 So as you can imagine, we just talked about like a 40 year time period. The suffrage movement in Minnesota saw lots of small victories, but a lot of defeats. Um, So even though it took until 1919, 1920 for women to be able to vote um, in big elections. Um, there was a, a big victory in 19 or 1875 when women won the right to vote in school elections. Oh, OK. So that was a good that was another little bonus. Um, but 1877 election law was passed by the legislature. This is Minnesota requiring separate ballots in separate ballot boxes for women voting in local elections as they could only vote for officers of public schools, but not other officers of the village or city in which they lived. So they actually had separate ballots, separate ballot boxes for women.
0: Okay. Weird. Crazy.
1: Uh, Yeah. So again, 1919, uh, the state of Minnesota votes to allow women to, to vote in elections. Minnesota became the 15th state to ratify the 19th Amendment. So all of this, I mean, to to be able to get this to happen for the United States to get a a constitutional amendment changed or get the U.S. Constitution changed, um, as you can imagine, it took a lot of people um, to make that happen. And so I wanted to just give you a little bit of insight on what was happening locally because we hear about the big national stories. Um, Blue Earth County had many women that were involved in the women's suffrage movements. They were involved in the Women Christian Temperance Union, which was a lot about the prohibition. Um, which is also happening at the same time, but they were very much about women's rights. Um, Blue Earth County Suffragette Association was um, a local group that was made up of very prominent women in the community. Um, When I looked through the list as being the the local history geek, I saw these names and I'm like, wow. But I realized that today most people wouldn't necessarily Get all excited about these names. <laughs> we don't know all the names. No, but um, but some of the names. Um, Mrs. Thomas Hughes. Um, her husband was a lawyer, a very prominent lawyer in town, and he was also very instrumental in the founding of the historical society. So he kind of goes down in our record books as the local historian, the kind of the the guru. Okay. Um, Mrs. J.R. Brandrup. Her husband um, founded the commercial college that was um, here in town um, at this time, the business college, and then. Mrs. Mary Trafton, she was an educator, and she was the founder of the Adult Education Program in Mankato. Um, And she was also president of this organization in 1916. And Mrs. J.W. Andrews, her husband was a very prominent doctor um, in town as well. And uh, she sounded like quite the hoot when when I read about her. She was very much for this cause, and she was always known to kind of be the one that would be out in front um, and, and sharing the, the message with people even if it was unpopular and you have to realize at this time it wasn't popular with all women either. Um, Why is
0: that, do you think?
1: Because you, you had the this the gender roles. Um, and people, that just
0: the, where they're just set in the, in the ways.
1: Yep, okay. yep, set in their ways. I mean,
0: I, I guess I understand that but it's kind of weird that you're fighting for something and people don't want to come along with, I guess.
1: Right, right. Well, and, I mean, there's lots of causes that you don't have 100% support on and yeah. this, this was one of them, even though we look back in history and we think, oh, how could anybody be against it? Right. Um, so she there was a, a great article in the newspaper about a suffrage parade that was going to be going through the city of Mankato and also through St. Peter. And um, Mrs. J.W. Andrews was said to be in her car all decked out with uh, the signage and everything. She was the first one to lead that parade. So I think she must have really been quite an interesting lady. Um, so as you can imagine locally how would you get the word out about this how would you you know bump up support so there were parades there were pageants they were um, honestly the one of the articles i read was um, they would stand on street corners and just talk about the cause mm-hmm. rallies um, whatever it would take to get the word out about what was happening So one of the things that is tied very closely with the women's suffrage movement was another movement that was happening at the same time. Um, There was a movement for women to be involved in social clubs and When you look at it just on the surface, say, oh, well, that's really sweet. They have an art history club. So they talk about art history or they have a travel club. So but you look at it and you think, "Okay, that's their their point. They're they're now becoming a little bit more worldly. So they're coming together as groups and they're meeting. But the interesting thing was these women's social clubs were ultimately that place where the women's suffrage movement really had its its grounds because you had these women coming together kind of under the the auspices of of talking about travel but ultimately then they start talking about women's rights right you know, so it's a really interesting time period for women to start um, c- gathering and uh, coming together and to also being a one voice being put out there. So they were, the the women's rights advocates were using this as a major platform to get out not only suffrage, but also just civic reforms. You know, at this time, you have different causes like the Women's Christian Temperance Union, which was founded in 1878. And they really were all about Temperance, which was ultimately the Prohibition Act, um, that comes in, um, in in 1919 as well. The um, Daughters of the American Revolution, our local chapter, which we talked about on a previous podcast, was organized in 1899. Um, there was the Cleo Club, the American Association of University Women. There was Mapleton Study Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, all,
0: Going back, sorry, what's a Clio Club, you know?
1: (laughs) The Clio Club was kind of more looking at um, art and culture and so they were they were kind of coming together under these ideas that they were just you know, sharing a common common interest. Understood. Okay. Okay. So then, of course, one of the groups that you that might sound very familiar, since you asked me about the one group, um, the League of Women Voters.
0: That's right. We talked about them in the last podcast.
1: Exactly. So the League of Women Voters, they were ex, uh, essential to the success of the suffrage movement. Um, these women's organizations, and there were so many of them, these women's organizations continued to push for the vote and to shape the world beyond their homes. I mean, this, this was just... such an interesting time for women's history. Um, The League of Women Voters was founded on the idea that a nonpartisan civic organization could provide the education and experience the public needed to assure the success of democracy and designed to help 20 million women carry out their new responsibilities as voters. So you think, well, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right. But it's really interesting how it got its start. Yeah. OK. So um, during this, we were talking 40 years um, was when it first got introduced into Congress. But it really took much longer. Much earlier were they starting to just have this conversation about the women's suffrage movement. Um, so there was a group called the National American Women's Suffrage Association. And their, their association president, um, if you know anything about women's history, um, she goes down in the rec- record books, Carrie Chapman Catt, a very significant figure in this movement. Well, she was speaking at the 50th convention of the national group um, in 1919, and she's the one who proposed the idea of the creation of a league of women voters to finish the fight for this for this movement. Mm-hmm. And so they basically at this point, we're saying, OK, we're very close. So, well, but it, actually in 1919, it's already been um, passed all of Congress and now it's going out to the states. So they know they need the next step. So they their their job to get the vote. Um, has already is already on track but now it's how do you get all of these people ready to actually go and do that job so they formed the League of Women Voters under the National Association and all of the states that had already passed it had already ratified it um, were able to join into this national movement um, in fact in Minnesota because we uh, we ratified it in September of 1919, by October of 1919, the Minnesota Suffrage Association dissolved and became a branch of the National League of Women Voters. So they seamlessly kind of moved right into each other. Um, in Minnesota, this, I think, is a really interesting thing. In Minnesota, Clara Uland was the president of the Minnesota Women's Suffrage Association when the amendment was passed in 1919. And that same year, she became the first president of the Minnesota League of Women Voters. Um, the great thing about this is she there is actually a plaque at the Minnesota State Capitol, acknowledging the work of Clara Euland in Minnesota for the women's suffrage movement. So I think that's a, that's a testament to how powerful this woman was mm-hmm. in, involved in the work in Minnesota. So back to the League of Women Voters. Um, they officially became an organization on February 14th, 1920. That's still six months before the 19th Amendment to the Constitution was officially ratified. Um, And as you can imagine, by the time that the 19th Amendment was fully in place, um, local women, in particular in Blue Earth and Nicollet Counties, were organizing local leagues. Um, And the momentum was, was huge right off the bat. Get people out there, get them to start using those new rights. But unfortunately, over the decades... I mean, we go into the Great Depression. We go into World War II. Um, The League, really, their popularity rose and fell throughout the decades. Um, Had a rebirth in the 1960s with the Equal Rights Amendment movement. Um, And both at that time, both our Mankato chapter and St. Peter chapter were reorganized in in 1963. Um, Our local Mankato chapter of League of Women Voters disbanded in 2009, and their members merged with the St. Peter League. And today, the League of Women Voters St. Peter is still a very vibrant and growing president's presence in our community, representing Nicollet and Blue Earth counties. This nonpartisan since the beginning, nonpartisan yet yet political organization still encourages citizens to play an active role in membership or in government. I'm sorry. Their membership is open to anyone that is 16 years of age or older. Um, so 2020 not only marks the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, allowing women the right to vote, but it also marks the centennial for the League of Women Voters, a nonpartisan group passionate about educating voters and getting people out to vote. You can check out more about the history of the League on their website, lwv.org. LWV.org. And there was a lot of information. Yeah,
0: there was. It was some really interesting stuff, though, too. I mean, things like we talked about the league before in the past, and so learning more about them and how mm-hmm. that became a national branch and or national group. But that was a lot of information, but it's pretty cool to hear that, you know, how the groups here in Mankato and St. Peter also regained, like reorganized even in the 60s. Like, yep, let's do it again.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, and you think about, I mean, I think it was very, very telling to say, okay, do you realize that it took 40 years from the time it got entered into Congress before it actually got passed? It was years before that as well with Susan B. Anthony's Mm -hmm. work. Um, And so to realize how long it took to get that amendment to pass, but then to realize that it wasn't just like this single group I wanted to see that happen. There were all of these other groups that all came together and all of their work um, combined with the Women's Christian Temperance Union and the women's suffrage movement and all those women's clubs. They all combined. And that, I think, is probably what really helped to push it forward because you had more. More support behind it. More solidarity
0: it. and more, more more people working towards the same goal.
1: Exactly. And solidarity, yeah. I think, is the perfect word yep. for that. So, it, you know, a pretty exciting um, moment. And it, it's hard to really realize and to comprehend what, uh, what took so long and what we take for granted today. Mm-hmm. So with that, we just hope that you enjoyed today's program. I know it was pretty history heavy. And I promise there's no quizzes about <laughs> dates and names and things like that. But we hope you enjoyed today's program as we took a look at the 19th Amendment to the United States Constitution and why something that happened 100 years ago still has such a lasting impact on what we do today. So all of this information we shared today comes from the archives of the Blue Earth County Historical Society. Until next time, we hope you will see the history that surrounds you.
0: You've been listening to Surrounded by History, a podcast from the Blue Earth County Historical Society, produced by Radio Mankato. For more information on this and other topics, visit BlueEarthCountyHistory.com or stop by the Blue Earth County History Center at 424 Warren Street in Mankato. Thanks for listening to Surrounded by History.